Hi, this is Steve Nerlick from Cheap Astronomy. www.cheapastro.com And this is Stellar Archaeology, the search for very old stars. This is the first of two podcasts on Stellar Archaeology. Astronomy is mostly about collecting whatever celestial information happens to come our way, most often in the form of photons, but also in the form of subatomic particles, like cosmic rays or neutrinos, and even the occasional meteor falling out of the sky. Apart from the meteors, though, most of this information is ephemeral, meaning that if you blink, you might miss it. Or, here in the 21st century, you might miss it if your CCD breaks down. Stellar archaeology involves gaining information about past events from which any ephemeral information has long since passed us by. A good place to start with this study of ancient celestial remains is the search for metal-poor stars. Astronomers never big ones for being pedantic about naming things, refer to any stellar elements with more protons than helium as metals, including elements like carbon, oxygen and nitrogen. Stellar metallicity is a term to describe how much stuff, other than hydrogen or helium, is in a star. In stellar archaeology, we tend to assume that a star with low metallicity, formed from a gas cloud that didn't have many metals to start with, while a high metallicity star, presumably formed from a gas cloud that did have a lot of metals. We know there have been sequential generations of stars, going all the way back to the very first stars, which appeared less than half a billion years after the Big Bang, That is, more than 13.3 billion years ago. As you may know, we refer to the very latest generation of stars, which includes the Sun, as Population 1 stars. These stars were formed from an interstellar medium that had been seeded by the previous generation of stars, called Population 2 stars. Population 2 stars would have included average stars which blew off a planetary nebula at the end of their lives, or bigger stars which blew up as supernovae. All those Population 2 star deaths seeded the interstellar medium with heavy elements, formed from stellar fusion as well as from supernovae explosions. It's from this metal-enriched interstellar medium the Population 1 stars, like the Sun, were formed. Of course, those previous generation Population 2 stars had themselves formed from an interstellar medium seeded by the death throes of an even earlier generation of stars called Population 3 stars, which are thought to have been the first stars ever formed. It's possible, although not very likely, that there may still be some Population 3 stars in existence, although they'd probably just be red dwarves. Red dwarves are able to persist for many billions of years, 
much longer than the lifespans of larger stars. However, it's not likely that there ever were a lot of Population 3 red dwarfs, since most of those first stars formed were probably all huge. They were probably all huge because the early universe was a lot smaller and denser than it is now, so there would have been a lot more closely packed matter to draw into star formation. As the universe has since got older, it's also got bigger. So the gas and dust available for stellar formation now is more diffuse, partly helped along by the fact that the first really big stars probably all went supernovae, hence spreading out the gas clouds that they had originally formed in. Another reason why we are more likely to get smaller stars forming in the modern universe is that the cohesion of large gas clouds is affected by what's called fine structure line cooling. A compact and homogeneous gas cloud can maintain a thermal equilibrium since all its components are identical, so when they bounce off each other, they strike with the same energy and release the same amount of energy on impact. However, as the first stars begin to seed the interstellar medium with heavier elements, those heavier elements began to disrupt the thermal equilibrium of large gas clouds. Heavier elements have many more excitation states than hydrogen does. So when these heavier elements are mixed into a cloud of hydrogen, they can certainly be heated by hydrogen bouncing against them, but there's no guarantee they will pass on the same amount of energy when they bounce against something else. Indeed, these heavier elements, with many more excitation states, have much more capacity to release any energy gained as photons, which makes them cool down. So the net result is that thermal equilibrium is not maintained, leading to areas of local cooling throughout the cloud. Such diversity in temperature throughout the cloud, that is, thermal disequilibrium, means that there are some areas where particles are bouncing off each other like crazy, and other areas where they're not. This diversity of bounciness in a cloud with high metallicity leads to fine structure fragmentation of the cloud, so that it is likely to break up into smaller clouds. This is another reason why later generations of stars are less likely to be as big as the first generation of stars. Current thinking is that the first stars in the universe were probably hypergiants of at least 100 solar masses. No one is expecting to find any of these ancient Population 3 stars nearby as being so big they would have been short-lived. Indeed, it's thought these stars were so big they literally blew themselves to pieces, that explosive force overcoming any gravitational force, so that neither a neutron star nor a black hole were left behind for any stellar archaeologists to study later. So, although by looking far away, and hence looking back in time, we may see some of these early stars from a great distance, 
it would be too great a distance to conduct any detailed spectroscopic analysis. The current focus of stellar archaeology is to look for old, low-metal stars that are in our neighbourhood, in or around the Milky Way. Their proximity should allow detailed measurement of their composition, and where we find them in and around the Milky Way should give us a greater understanding of how stars interact and how galaxies form. Any nearby old and low-metal stars are most likely to be population 2 stars formed from an ancient interstellar medium which was already seeded with lots of carbon, nitrogen and oxygen and traces of other heavier elements either formed by stellar fusion or formed through the dynamic kinetics of dying stars either blowing off their outer shell as they die or blowing up as supernovae. In the halo of the Milky Way surrounding the dense galactic bulge, we can observe stars that may have low iron, low carbon or low oxygen abundances. These are just the characteristics we would expect of population 2 stars. And across a whole spectrum of such stars, we do find there are upper and lower extremes of iron, carbon or oxygen abundance. We think that the stars at the lower extreme of this scale represent the oldest and the earliest born population 2 stars. We particularly find these very old population 2 stars in the fainter dwarf galaxies that cluster about the Milky Way as well as being found in the Milky Way's halo. It's from this finding we think that our giant spiral Milky Way galaxy must have formed from the accretion of lots of smaller dwarf galaxies. So although the Milky Way seems full of stellar nurseries and young stars, in reality the Milky Way is an ancient 13 billion year old structure. It's just kept itself looking young by cannibalising other less fortunate galaxies that didn't get big enough fast enough. Thanks for listening. This is Steve Nerlick from Cheap Astronomy, www.cheapastro.com. Cheap Astronomy offers an educational website where, if you want to make a podcast, you first need to make a universe. No ads, no profit, just good science. Bye.